hear the word of God from Paul's letter to the Colossians. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, Colossae? the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father, who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. I apologize, I got some tears in my eyes. I wasn't prepared. Um, I knew what we were praying for this morning, but I wasn't prepared to get emotional about it. So, um... Sorry about that, I'm still kind of collecting myself. Um, I just want to start off by saying that uh, how much I love you guys. And that prayer reminds me of that. I think of the joy it is to raise my son in this church. And the, the people that surround him in love every day. And I just, it, just, it, it hits me. And so I couldn't think of a better family a better place for my son to, to hear about the Lord, to receive love and care, than to hear with you guys. So thank you. I just want to thank you so much for how you love my son well. So, sorry. Wasn't meaning to do that. That was just, yeah. Okay. Shake it off now. Okay. Ah. Okay. Thank you, sir. Um... Not usually necessary for me, but okay, all right. Um, Today we're starting a brand new series out of the book of Colossians, and Galatians, actually. We're doing a two-part series, Colossians, and right into the book of Galatians. Two letters written by Paul, and after this series, we'll have a short mini-series, kind of like towards the end of the summer, on kind of our church and what we are as a church. But then we're going to enter a series on the history of books of the Bible, namely Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles in the fall. So those of you like, who just feel like we just got out of Judges and Joshua, you're like, we're going to go back to Kings and Chronicles? Yes, I know. Crazy. We're weird. But our desired waypoint is that you fall in love with the whole of Scripture. Not just the easy-to-read books, not just the, the feel-good-sometimes books, but the whole of Scripture. 
because we believe the whole counsel of scripture tells us of the radiance, the glory, the majesty, the beauty of God and points to his son, Jesus. So we want you to know and love all of scripture together. So there'll be a stretch of time that you'll hear sermons from one of the gospels or there may be a season like the one we just had that we go through the books of Judges and Joshua. But we believe the, the word of God is a big story that is fully connected together. And so we're going to go back and forth. We'll be in the Old Testament, New Testament. For those of you guys who aren't used to that, that's kind of what we do. That's our, our way of doing things here. So today starts our series in a letter written to the Colossians by Paul. Paul is the most prolific writer in the New Testament. So to start us off with, I have a few Paul jokes I want to share with you. These are terrible. I'm just warning you ahead of time. They're going to make you groan, but I love them. All right, this first one, this come over Peter joke, but I'm gonna say it anyway because it has Paul in it. I'm always robbing Peter to pay Paul. That makes me a repeat offender. Okay. So my friend Paul was on his deathbed. While he was there, he calls on his best friends. He says, guys, guys, at my funeral, I want you guys to carry my coffin. And they all say, of course, of course. And then my friend says, great, you'll all be my Paul bearers. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> All right, knock knock. Paul. Paul hard on the door. The door's stuck. All right, this this is my favorite one. This one's my favorite one. This is a good one. The Apostle Paul got, had his name changed. He never saw it coming. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one, right? Thank you. I like that one. Okay. You're welcome for that last one, right? That's a good one. You know, I, I love Paul. And when I was in high school, when I started reading the New Testament, really kind of diving into the New Testament, I started diving into that. You know, my first thought when I read Paul and Paul's letters was, this guy's kind of, like, like, cocky. Like, he's like, I don't like this guy. He comes across very brash and, like, he seems like he's knows better than everybody else. That was kind of my first impression when I started reading the book, the letters written by Paul. But I love the fact that Paul, like, just shares his heart. No matter what's going on, he, he, he's like, you know, he speaks truth. He speaks it in love. He calls people out. He needs to be called out. And here we have in the book of Colossians this letter of, of love that he wrote while in prison. So let me give you a little bit of background since we spent some time in the book of Colossians, I want to give you a little bit of an overview, a little bit of context, so that you get all the further sermons, you get a little bit of background on this book. Um, Paul, by his own mission, never actually visited the church at Colossae. This is not one of the churches he planted. It was planted out of a fruitful Ephesian ministry that Paul uh, had during his third missionary journey. If you look at Acts chapter 19, Paul is actually reasoning in the synagogue for about three months. He found them difficult and hardened in their unbelief, so he left the synagogue and went next door to the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And at the time, during this kind of siesta hour when people were kind of laying down in the heat, uh, when everything was closed down, Paul would get into this lecture hall with the room of people for every day, for two years, preaching, teaching, and reasoning about the gospel. Verse 10 out of Acts 19 says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greek. And so what Luke is telling us here in Acts is that there was this tremendous flow of information out of this lecture hall that Paul was ministering to. 
And from here, there was steady traffic, and there were people who came to Ephesus from all over what is now Turkey to do business, to have the goods traded, to buy, and to sell, and to trade with other parts of the Roman Empire. Ephesus at that time was a cultural center. It was the New York City of Asia Minor at the time, now actually around the area of Turkey. And so it was an important city, a busy city uh, in terms of arts and commerce and finance. It was, like I said, the New York City of the time. And see, with this hall, this time in this hall, Paul was using it to be right there in the middle of this, this agora, this marketplace, and amazing things were happening. That's why Luke can say in all of Asia, Jews and Greeks heard the word because of Paul's ministry there. There was all this traffic going back and forth. So out of this ministry then, we find something happens. The word is spreading. So Paul's ministry for two years, imagine, by the way, I can't imagine, I think Paul's like giving a sermon every day for two years. Once a week is more than enough for me. I can't imagine him doing one every day, but here Paul for two hours, every day reasoning with the greatest teachers, and the word is spreading all throughout Asia Minor. So this is the context. Now this is not Colossae, this is now Ephesus. From there we find a man who Paul identifies as Epaphras. Epaphras doesn't show up in the book of Acts. We don't meet Epaphras until we actually get to this letter. But because of the way Paul refers to him in this letter, it talks about him as a letter person he knows, it gives evidence that, that Epaphras wasn't just uh, a guy who heard the gospel, he was actually a disciple, someone who Paul has trained up and raised up. Paul poured time, effort, and energy into this guy. And he was living as a messenger himself. And so Epaphras planted by what Paul says here later in the letter to the Colossians, this church at Colossae. He also planted the church of Laodicea and the church of Heropolis. So Epaphras is a very busy missionary. He's going about planting churches. And so what happens after this ministry that happened in Ephesus, Epaphras comes out, he's being poured into by Paul, and then he goes out and plants another church in Colossae. And so there's this church in Colossae planted by Epaphras, and this was a, a city that actually ends up getting destroyed a few years later after this letter. This city actually gets destroyed by some volcanic eruptions and earthquakes, and it's actually later destroyed. But at this time, it's a church full of Jews and Gentiles who heard the gospel from this guy Epaphras, who heard the gospel because of the word coming out of Ephesus, of Paul's teaching and reasoning. And there's this text. And comes this amazing text of Scripture. He starts this letter with a rather normal greeting, acknowledging Timothy, um, that's either Timothy writing with him. He says, I, Paul. Which, by the way, people often question who wrote the letter. Like, there's, you know, scholars are out there like, did Paul write this letter? There's nuances here, these words that he might use that might not be from most of his other letters. I think a clear-cut way of understanding if Paul wrote this letter is because it says, I, Paul, wrote this letter. <laughs> Just throwing that out there, you know? Maybe like the book of Hebrews, you might question whether or not Paul wrote that, but this letter is pretty easy, Okay? Paul wrote the letter. And he wrote, writes this letter, and this letter he writes also, I love how he mentions Timothy with him. Now some people argue, because uh, this was written actually while Paul was in prison in Rome, that Timothy's name is mentioned because either Timothy's right next to Paul, or Timothy's actually writing the letter. Because Paul might be dictating, which, that's like the best form of letter writing. You know, back then, you, got, you, you, don't, have a, you don't have a type, uh, you don't type, I just say, I want to say typewriter, like, like we use typewriters now. <laughs> you don't have a computer with a Word document. <laughs> I don't know why I was about to say typewriter, but you know how somebody, you know, right now it's easy to type up, you can use backspace, delete, cut and copy, all that kind of stuff. Back then you got some ink and, I don't know why I licked it. I don't think you lick ink typically, but if that's how you wrote with a quill, that's what you did. That would be the way I would write. I'd be like, listen, I'm going to dictate and somebody else write, write it out for me, please. Which Sharon's over here, 
I often sometimes, with, with the way I like to do sermons sometimes, I like to like record myself a little bit speaking out loud, and then I had shared, hey, will you type this up and transcript it out for me? And she gets so angry at me, because Lawrence, you talk so fast, <laughs> especially when I'm just recording myself. So she has to like listen to it like five times before she gets a sentence. So, read them tidbit just for you to know that. <laughs> Paul says in verse three, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. I love that Paul starts off this letter to people he hasn't even met with such love, care, and devotion. He says he thanks God for them. Not only does he thank God for them, but he also prays for them. And it seems to imply that he prays for them regularly. My people, Paul grabs an important point that I want you all to get. He thanks God for these people and prays for them regularly because he's connected with them. They're not people he has met, but, he's, but he still feels for them. He feels of them. He cares for them because, they're, they're because of who he is in Christ and who they are in Christ. And that's the point, that's the message that I would love for us to understand and get even more fully in our lives. We are part of a universal church. We are connected to an overall body of Christ. We need to care for our brothers and sisters around the world and in our own cities. We are connected by the blood of Jesus. More unifying than anything else needs to be the unifying element of the blood of Jesus in our lives. Do you guys hear that? More unifying than our Nation needs to be our faith. Our loyalty needs to be, our loyalty to sports, sports teams need to be not more unifying than our loyalty to Jesus. Can I say that one again? Do I need to say that one again? Right? You need to be more loyal to that Duke fan, UNC fan, who loves Jesus than you, than you are to that UNC fan who doesn't. Did you hear what I'm saying? I'm just throwing that out there. I know that's hard for you guys and for all of us, but... Guys, do you understand that our identity first is not our color, not our nation, not our loyalty, our sports team, but it's our identity in Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? Because we live in such a divided world who divides over and over again for so many different reasons. May the unifying element that moves us together as one body in this world that people can see Jesus' very prayer for us that we would be one. May we see ourselves as the body of Christ and then may we connect our hearts with believers around the world. Knowing that we're not alone, but we're connected. Paul continues in verse four. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. He's thanking God for those things. You see what he's doing right right there. Paul is doing something where he loves his kind of gospel triad. He's using faith, hope, and love. He's thanking them for their faith, their hope, and their love. He's He's saying, I recognize from the testimony of Paphras that God is at work among you because he told me about your faith in Jesus, the love you have for the saints, and the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul is saying God's at work among you and the evidence is faith, hope, and love. These are not things that you produce. These are not things that are yours because you're nice people. These are not things that happen just naturally. They happen when the gospel and when God is at work in you. This is the fruit that only gospel trees can produce. You guys hear me? 
Faith, hope, and love. And we go to a lot of places to see this. You can look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, where Paul says faith is a, from Christ is a gift. It's the gift of God, not the work of man. And Paul is saying there's the love you have for the saints. Your love for the saints is, goes across racial boundaries. It's, it's across social and economic barriers. Your love for the saints goes across gender barriers. Your love for the saints goes across cultural barriers. Your love of the people of God because the same spirit is at work in them as it is in you. That's an evidence of gospel realities. He says, because of the hope that's laid up for you in heaven. Evidence of gospel reality at work in the lives of the Colossians, at work in our lives right here, is that our hope is not in this world. The gospel raises our eyes beyond this world to the world to come, and we begin, because of the work of Christ, to long for a life where Christ is. If you see at the beginning of chapter three, it says, for since you've been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. That becomes our hope. That becomes our reason for being. Not only to love God here, but to anticipate loving God for eternity. Not only serving God here, but anticipate to long for and hunger for the day when we serve God there. A hope laid us for us in heaven. That's the work of God, because by nature we are people motivated by what we see. Aren't we? We don't see heaven, but by, by nature we are people who are motivated by what we can have. And we don't have heaven yet. And the fact that we are motivated by heaven and have a hope for the future, that's Paul saying that's the work of the gospel among you. That's beyond your capability. Lou doesn't know I'm going to say this, but I don't think he'll mind me sharing this. But Lou has been dealing with cancer recently. And Lou said to me very recently, he said, Lawrence, if I can go back, go back to the time before I got diagnosed and say, God just said it was gone. I have no more cancer. It's just taken away. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have it taken away. Do you want to know why? Because what I've learned about the nature and the character of God in this past year trumps the value of having a healthy life cancer-free. Lou shared that with me. He says, the relationships that have been restored and the faith that is produced and grown in my own heart has been more than having a cancer-free body. So no, I wouldn't take it back. I thank God for what God's done. Thank you, Lou, for letting me share that. See, what Lou had, has hope in and confidence in is the hope of a future that's worth more than now, of, of something being produced in his life and in his spirit that's worth more there than it is now. We have a hope of heaven, things that we cannot see, and we anticipate that reality, and thus it creates new gospel realities now. Does that make sense? When you can have a confidence and a hope that's not able to be seen, it can create a different reality for you here now as beyond your ability is what a gospel tree produces as fruit. It's a gospel at work amongst us and it reorients everything. That's the truth what the gospel does. It upsets, it changes, it reorients and the Colossians had that. Do we, do you? My people, the good news of the hope we have in Jesus, that needs to change you. Not just by making you someone who goes to church on Sunday. Listen to me, going to church on Sunday makes you as much a Christian as being in a garage makes you a car. It doesn't work that way. The change is eternal to the external. The Bible talks about it through this image of getting a new heart. 
The internal changes when by faith we see the world and ourselves the way it really is. We understand how loved we are. We know the future that is ours. And that changes from the internal and exudes outward to the overflow of our lives every day. Let me give you a silly example of this. But when I was younger, I tried out for a special baseball team. That's going to be like this elite team. And I wanted it bad. We were told that we're not gonna, we were gonna get a call by a certain date. By a certain date, you're gonna get a call if you made the team. So I was waiting, man. I had the date circled large on a calendar in my house. You know, I was just like, oh man, I'm gonna make the team. It's gonna be great. And the day came and went, and I didn't get the call. Man, I was devastated. Didn't get the call. I was angry. I was sad. I was hurt. I was mean to my sister. I was whiny at home. I wouldn't want to do chores. I yelled at my parents. I was just miserable. In the afternoon of the next day, we got a phone call. And it was the coaches. They said, hey, we're sorry to call you the next day, but my name was the last name because my last name starts with Y. So alphabetically, I was the last one they were to call you. It took so long calling everybody else. That didn't get me through till today. But I was on the team. Man, I was transformed. <laughs> Man, I was like, Jennifer, what do you want? Do you want to play games? Let's play Barbie. <laughs> mom, oh, let's do the chores together. Let me clean. Mom, you're the nicest mom ever. And I was like a transformed man. I felt great. I was, woo. Now, that's a silly example of how my actions exuded from what happened internally. But it's an imperfect illustration about what you get what I'm trying to express. That the work of the gospel changes your heart for good. It's an internal process by faith that you can see and believe and it changes who you are. When you see yourself now all of a sudden to be known and to be loved and to have purpose and you have your future reality is in heaven before you. Your confidence, you can now love others, you can now forgive others, you can now accept others because you know you're loved yourself now. Do you see? It's an internal change. Once you have that faith, it produces hope, it produces love. This is faith. And it changes your external because it changes your internal. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the transforming work of Jesus. You become different. I love how Paul goes, Paul goes on and says in verse 9, for this reason, since today we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every good work. Paul's prayer for his fellow believers who are changing the world is that God fills them and that they live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every good work. Oh God, let that be us. Let that be us here at Waypoint Church. May we be so filled with your knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we live lives worthy of God. And we see the world changed. How should we take that verse, live lives worthy of the Lord? What does that mean? Are we to show God that we are worth being loved by him? Is that what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? If that was the case, that would be to deny everything we know about the biblical gospel from the rest of the writings of Paul, including the rest of the letter of the Colossians. That's not at all what Paul has in mind. Rather, Paul is asking that we would live life in a way that displays how worth it God really is. That's what it means to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Not that you show yourself to be worth loving, but rather you show how worth loving God is in the way you live day by day. 
You walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You walk in a way that displays how worthwhile it is to sacrifice and to labor and to pour yourself out for his honor and glory. In doing this, he gives you credibility, share the gospel with others. In verse six, it says the gospel is bearing fruit throughout the world. The gospel goes forth and bears fruit when we live lives worthy of the Lord. Or in other words, we live lives showing the worthiness of the Lord. It does this in two manners. So this life worthy of the Lord does this in two ways. One, by giving credibility to the words we speak. And by two, by evidencing the transformation of which we speak. Right? So let me explain what that means by the first one. By giving credibility to the words we speak. I once heard John Piper share a story of a man in Africa who left his village and heard Christians preaching the gospel in a village far from his. This man heard this powerful teaching for a few days and he was so moved by it. He couldn't wait to tell his village back home, so, so he took off nonstop. He, he walked and he ran as fast as he possibly could to get back to his village as fast as possible. And once he got back, he started sharing all that he heard about Jesus and the good news of the gospel. The people from the village didn't understand and they mocked him. This man was dejected. He must have said something wrong. He must have not said it correctly. He must not have said something. He just didn't do it right. So he was depressed and upset. So he went, he fell asleep in the shade, dejected. And when he, all of a sudden, he was startled awake. He looked around and saw the villagers surrounding him. And they said to him, we, we came back to mock you some more. But then we saw your feet and your exhaustion. You traveled so hard, you must really care about what you have to say. Okay, please share with us what you want to share. See, they listened because his actions led them to want to hear about what he had to say. He lived differently. He cared passionately. He lived a life worthy of the Lord and people wanted to say, well, why would you do that? My people, can I share something that's going to be a hard word? I think one of the travesties of Christendom right now in America is that right now too many Christians don't look any different from anybody else. We just don't. We look like everybody else trying to live the American dream. We look no different. Now hear me, I'm not saying we need to be perfect. Not my statement at all. I'm not saying that we need to be out there and be like, look how holy I am and look how good I am. That's not what I'm saying. No, we need to be the first ones to admit that we aren't. But that allows us to be the first ones to forgive and show grace. But I think it's a shame that when we don't stand out, when Christians don't stand out in a culture, especially one that is so materialistic, individualistic, image-driven, backstabbing, dog-eat-dog culture like the one we live in. And we don't stand out much. We should stand out. We should stand out in this culture. We should look weird. We should look different. We should be like, why in the world do they love like that? Why in the world do they keep on forgiving? Why in the world do they care more about helping people than they do about their money? Why in the world do they care more about lifting up the name of Jesus than they do their own name? Why do they care more about the, the, the church and the kingdom advantage than they care about their own power? They need to know us by our love. And our love needs to make us stand out by our forgiveness, by our care for the weak and vulnerable. 
by our love for justice and mercy, by our love for God and power and not money and prestige, then they will hear our words. They need to see our feet so that the words of our mouth may be heard. Ultimately, living a life worthy of the Lord is how the message of the gospel is gonna be taken to the ends of the earth and how we will have brothers and sisters of every tribe, nation, and tongue. The gospel needs to be preached. It needs to be spoken. The good word needs to be shared. But it also needs to be matched with, up with lives worthy of the Lord. Amen? Waypoint Church has had the honor of sending people to Gambia uh, multiple times to share the good news of Jesus in the past seven years of our existence. On one of those trips, three married men from our church had the opportunity to go. While there, they had went and had conversations with some of the men while working together. They're out in the fields and working together, and they start sharing life and talking. One of the men of the village noticed that the men, one of our waypoint men, were wearing, they were all wearing wedding rings. So he asked them, do you guys have family back home? And they answered, yes, we have family, we have children. And then the, the, the villager said, so wait a minute. You're here sleeping on the floor, working in the fields, talking to us. When you have family back home, the message you're sharing must be important to you. So go ahead, please, share your story with us. Later, one of the villagers was so moved by the story that one of our, our men in our church shared with them that they asked, when did this happen? I mean, they shared the story of Jesus and, and him dying upon the cross and being resurrected, and they were so moved by this story, they asked, whoa, 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 when did this story of Jesus happen? When, when did this occur? And one of our people said, this happened 2,000 years ago. And the villager responded by saying, why am I now just hearing about this? Well, you're telling me this happened 2,000 years ago. Why am I now just hearing about this? My people, the gospel does something to you. The message of a loving God who sent the son to save you, to redeem you, to reconcile you, to give you a new heart. It does something to you. It changes you. And all of a sudden your priorities get flipped. And all of a sudden you can start living with confidence knowing that you have a better hope, a better future, you're known and you're loved. And that change now produces fruit in you. And that from the internal change, then it should go externally. And externally comes this reality, this life that lives worthy of the Lord. In other words, a life of love, of priority shifted, of care for the poor and the lost and the hungry, of righteousness and, and love and forgiveness and of grace. And it exudes further into caring so that the world can hear, that the world may know. And when you live a life worthy of the Lord, it gives you the ability to speak his gospel truth to the world and for them to hear it. May that be our reality here. May that be us. As we look at the book of Colossians and we see the gospel proclaimed over and over again. May that be us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, God, we thank you for the good news. The good news is that you called a people to yourself, that you reconciled us to God, and you've called us to live a different kingdom life. And you're 
faith that you've bestowed upon us produces the fruit to do so. So we ask, Lord, may we live lives worthy of you. Not earning your love because you've given that freely, but lives that show how worthwhile you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. At this time of our worship service, we are going to take uh, communion or the Lord's Supper. Um, we're going back to our old method, which is participatory, big word, um, and we would like for everyone to come forward and, and participate in this. Uh, we will have servers serving it that will wash their hands. If you still are, need pr precautions, we want to honor that. And at the back uh, stations back there, there are the little individual cups. Um, if you're gluten-free, everything up here is gluten-free. And in the back, all of them are gluten-free except for the ones in the basket. If, you're not, if you need to go to the back and you're not gluten-free, go ahead and take the regular ones just so we can kind of get rid of those. And then we'll just, everything will be gluten-free moving forward. So we want to offer this to anyone who has called upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Uh, that's how we practice communion here at Waypoint Church. And um, I'm going to introduce it, and then I'm going to ask the, our servers to come on up. So for this morning, uh, we're going to, well, just moving forward, we're going to take communion the first and the third Sunday of the month. One of the Sundays will be more confessional, and we'll actually do the confessional prayer during our prayer time. And one of the Sundays will be more focusing on a different element of, of why we believe Christ gave us communion. And for this morning, I want us to reflect on the new covenant that we're a part of. Like we are part of a new covenant. God gave a promise to Abraham and he's like, I'm going to bless you and through you, the nations will be blessed. But through them and their failures as a people, they, the nations would have been blessed and they were even blessed through, through the covenant with Abraham. But God promises a new covenant in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And he says, I'll turn your heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And we're going to thank God that we're part of a new covenant, a covenant made because of the life and the death and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Right now, Jesus is reigning, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit is interceding for us. And that's the part of this new covenant that we're part of. So we're going to just, just take a moment and thank God that we have a new covenant because of the blood and because of the resurrection of Christ. God, we thank you that we are part of a new covenant that Jesus has made for us, that we are forgiven people. We are born again. We are new creations. We are people with a hope and a future, people of the kingdom of God. We praise you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So what I'm going to do now is ask you to come, and what, how we'll do it is um, we're going to do it in sections. So can I get the servers to come up, please? So if you're in this section, you're going to walk this way and come down here, and the, the, I'll be your station, um, myself and Erica here. If you're in this section, you're going to walk down this aisle, and um, Eric and Rebecca will be over there for you guys. If you're in that, this section, you're going to go here, and that section you will go to Stephen and Joy over there. So we'll start, uh, I think it works best if we start with the front rows, and then you work your way back. So you'll, you'll come down here and then en enter your seat that way. So they come toward the center and then enter that way. Um, this is the Lord's table for all those who call upon the name of the Lord and has confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Please come forward and take the elements. And you can also go to the back if you need to. Is there anybody who we need to come to your seat that you weren't able to come? Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your body that was broken and torn. By your wounds, we are healed. By your stripes, we are forgiven. And we thank you for the blood that was shed so that we could be raised to new life with you. Go before us this week. May we just live as new covenant people, honoring and remembering what you have done for us. We just give you all the praise and we pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.